I think it's obvious to pretty much everyone that our world has a lot of big problems. And I think that that's something we can all agree on. We may disagree on, on those problems, specifically on what those problems are or, or how big certain ones are, but I think everybody will agree about that, saved and unsaved alike. We can look at the world around us and say, yeah, there's a lot of problems in our world. According to the UN, the world's biggest problems uh, on their list are the following. This was done earlier this year. Climate change and other environmental issues, wars and military conflicts, human rights violations, water contamination, poor access to quality health care and education, world health issues, world hunger, and world poverty. Again, from the UN. Now, some of those things, sure, they definitely qualify as problems in our world. But are any of those things really our biggest problem? That's the question I raise to you. What if we asked different people in our community that question? What, what do you think is the biggest problem facing our world? What, what would you say is the biggest problem in, in your opinion? We would have all kinds of different answers to that question. Uh, there would be, I mean, if we polled even in here, in our room right now today, if I were to go to each one of you and ask, there'd be so many different answers to that, I'm sure. What wasn't on the UN list and what would likely be missing from a lot of people's answers if we did that kind of a poll, especially out in the community, is the one thing that has always been our biggest problem and continues to be, sin. Sin is our biggest problem. It's the biggest problem facing humanity, has been for thousands of years, and will continue to be for however long our Lord Jesus remains in heaven and not here, not making a new new earth, not restoring Sin is always mankind's biggest problem. And all of those other problems that were on the UN list and all of the big problems that others might point to, all the big problems that we have are the direct result of that much, much bigger problem, sin. Charles Spurgeon said this, Sin is the greatest evil in the universe. It is the parent of all other ills. Isn't that just like Spurgeon, to word it that way, say it that way? The parent of all other ills. All manner of evils draw their bitterness from this fount of wormwood and gall. Thankfully, as many problems as that word, sin, causes... It won't have the last word. And it doesn't have to have the last word now for any of us. In this series that we're starting today, we're going to talk about the Bible's best words, which are found in the passage of the Bible that Martin Luther called the chief point and the very central place of Paul's whole epistle to the Romans 
and of the whole Bible. He was referring to Romans 3, 21 through 26, and that's where our series is really going to focus, and that's where uh, I believe, as I think we, we see from that statement by Martin Luther, he agreed, really are the Bible's best words. They're contained in this, in this brief passage, and what is wrapped up in each of those words truly contains all of our hope and the answer, the remedy, the rescue to that awful word sin that is our biggest problem. So that's where we're headed in the series. But to make sure we fully appreciate what God did to deal with that big problem of sin, we need to first make sure that we fully understand just how bad and big of a problem it is. And to do that, we're going to look earlier in the passage of Romans 3. So I would invite you to look at that with me. Romans 3, 10 through 12, and also verse 23. That's where we're going to start today. Romans 3, 10 through 12, and also verse 23. I'll be reading this passage from the CSB. So just so you're aware of that as you follow along in your copy of God's Word. And if you have that digitally, you can probably go right over and find that translation. Romans three ten through 12 and verse 23. And the Apostle Paul writes this, as it is written, so referring to Scripture, referring to the Old Testament specifically, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Wow, that's a pretty bad uh, indictment, isn't it? Pretty bad predicament we find ourselves in if that's the case. And it is. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. In other words, mankind naturally in themselves, apart from divine intervention, we're not seeking God. We're not looking for Him. We're not searching for Him. We're not saying, oh God, I want to know You. I want to love You. I want to serve You. I want to worship You. That's not what's happening. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Paul was quoting from Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3, when he says this. And, and that's an accurate description of what it means to be a human being. Then verse 23, he says, For all have sinned, all, all human beings, from the baby that was born yesterday to the person that's getting ready to take his last breath, all have sinned and fall short. That can literally be translated lack, are found wanting or found lacking of the glory of God. Well, what does that mean? What Paul is, is laying out here is the problem of the problem of sin and why it is such a problem. The standard that we are all held to is perfection. And that standard, the person setting that standard, is the only perfect being that has ever been or ever will be. The only source of perfection in all the universe, God. He is the perfect one. He is completely holy, completely righteous, and 
perfect in every aspect of his being. He is the one who made everything and everyone. Therefore, because of his perfection and because of his supreme holiness and because he is the author of all things, he alone has the right to set the standard for all of his creatures. And that standard is absolute holiness and perfection. Sin, when it entered the picture, wrecked and ruined our ability to reach or meet that standard at all, at any point, anything we do. We will never be able in ourselves, because of what sin did, to reach that standard. Sin, in its very essence, is missing the mark of God's holiness and His righteous standard. There's a lot of hunters that we have in our area and probably in here today. And to get really good at hunting, you practice hitting the target, right? That's what you've got to do if you have a hope of hitting the target of of the deer or whatever you're hunting. And there's a whole lot of missing the mark that goes on. And even the best hunter is going to miss the mark from time to time. Sometimes you go an entire season without hitting that mark, right? That's what sin is. It's no matter what we do to try to be better, no matter how much we practice and aim at hitting that target of of holiness and perfection, we will never hit it in ourselves. We'll always miss the mark. And that's what sin is and what it means to, to sin. It's falling always short of that that standard that we can never reach and attain to. But what we need to understand is that sin is it's not just what we do, or in some cases not just what we don't do, it's, it's what we are. It's what we are at our core, at our essence. R.C. Sproul said this, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. I'm so thankful that he he had that perspective and he said that. Because that's exactly how it is. That's what's true of us. That's how deep and pervasive this sin issue is. It's not just something we do. So if if we could just figure out how not to sin, well, everything would be okay. No. No, we sin because we are sinners. Therefore, what that means for us, for all of us, is this. Self-help isn't a solution for the problem of sin. No amount of trying harder, being better, employing this strategy or that strategy, reading this great book, no amount of coming to church and singing great praise songs will take care of the problem. Self-help in any way isn't a solution for the problem. There was an old proverb, an old story that has been around a long time, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, the tale of the scorpion and the frog. And one day this scorpion asked the frog, will you please carry me across the, the river here, the creek, it's, it's overflowing and, and I can't make it across and I need to do that. So you can swim. Will you carry me on your back? And the, the frog said, I, I don't think I should. I mean, you're a scorpion and, 
you have that, that horrible, nasty stinger. What happens to me if you, if you sting me? I'll, I'll die. I don't think I should do that. And my, my frog friends are telling me not to do it. And the scorpion says, oh, listen, I, I know why you're afraid. I understand that. But, but tell you what, I promise you, I won't sting you. I want to get across the, the river and, the, and I, I won't do that because, hey, if I'm, after all, if I'm riding on your back and I sting you and you start to sink, I can't swim. I'll die too. I wouldn't want to do that to myself. So you can rest assured I'm not going to sting you. The frog thought about it. Hey, that's some pretty good logic. All right, hop on. So he's swimming across the stream and about halfway over, all of a sudden the frog feels that horrible pinch and that burning sensation and he, he starts to get tingly and he starts to get numb and, and he can't hold himself up any longer. And as he's starting to sink, he says, why did you do that? You promised me you wouldn't sting me. Now we're both going to die. And right before they went under, the scorpion said, oh, my dear frog, I just couldn't help it. It's in my nature. I'm a scorpion after all. That's true of all of us. That's why we don't have to teach children to sin. Because being a human being means being a sinner. Being a human being means being a sinner. Sin isn't just what we do, it's what we are. It's our entire nature. And sin isn't just an action. It's something that saturates our entire reality. It's not just an action. It's something that saturates our entire reality. Like the Matrix. If you've ever seen that, I'm, I'm not endorsing that. By Okay, let's just be clear. Just referring to a, a cultural uh, uh, fact of, of what has been one of the biggest movies and what many of you have probably seen or at least are familiar with, the concept. It saturates our entire reality. We see that from the very beginning of the story of humanity. God's Word records the tragic fall of humanity that then led to that sin saturation. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 and I'll, I'll actually be reading this passage from the ESV. Genesis 3.16 says this. This is God's pronouncing judgment and the curse for man's sin. Remember, when God created man, He created him perfect. Adam was perfect. He already had that standard met. He was at that that standard of absolute holiness and perfection. Eve, too. They didn't start out sinning. They started out perfect, holy. And sin entered the picture and they willingly chose it and then everything changed. Verse 16, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And any of you women who have had your precious baby boy or girl know that as precious as they are and, and uh, were, especially at that first moment, the, there was a whole lot of pain that was involved in that preciousness, right? Comes back to sin. It's a direct result of sin. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire, still speaking to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So the very fact of the matter of of all that tension and all those conflicts that happen between husband and wife, no matter how much that we love each other, there's the, the tension and the issue and the strife. It can be traced all the way back to this, to sin. Notice that The role of the husband leading the home spiritually and morally, that's not a direct result of sin. That's not part of the curse, lest we think that it is. Adam was already given that role to lead and direct his wife, his family, his home toward God from the very beginning. He was given that that place, that role of leadership before sin. What happened is, well, really what happened is he shirked that responsibility uh, right there when Eve was being tempted. He, he was there, right there, when the temptation was happening, when the serpent was enticing Eve. And what he should have done is directed her away and used his place, his appointed, appointed uh, leadership, uh, to drive her back to God and away from the temptation of sin. He didn't do that. He gave in. And now that role that was given by God is met with opposition. Uh, Now what God is saying here is Eve and, and all women after you, they're not going to want to respect and honor the position of the husband being the leader in their home. They're going to strive against that. There's going to be this, this conflict. There's going to be this, this fight for control. See, That's why it happens in your relationships. It's because of sin. Direct result of that. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see the saturation of sin? It's pervasive. It's everywhere. It has affected literally every aspect of life. In Romans 8, Paul says, creation itself is groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, to be be relieved from the weight of sin and the curse from sin. It's affected everything. And all of that, all that we just read, all all that is captured there in that passage in the original curse of sin, all of that got passed down to all of us. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. So, Here's again a picture of the depth of how, of how far our sin goes and how pervasive it is and how big of a problem it is. 
we inherited sin by nature because we're all children of Daddy Adam and Mommy Eve. So we get their sinful nature naturally and we choose it for ourselves. So it's a double whammy. We inherit it and then we willingly choose it and we walk in it ourselves. That's how bad and big of a problem sin is. And that is why there's so much wrong. And it's not just about so much that's wrong in the physical world. It's, it's why there's so much wrong with you individually and with me. It's why you have those headaches and backaches and all manner of aches. It's why you have a flat tire on your way to church. It's why your house is constantly falling apart and needing things. It's why you have all those pesky little annoying problems that just keep creeping up. It's why we have the horrible corrupt political system that we we always have. It's why there's things like colds and flus and COVID. It's why there's arguments between people that love each other. It's why there's many times division and dissension within even the body of Christ. It all comes back to sin. But by no means is it limited to the externals or the physical things. It's not just a physical problem or an issue or an external issue. Mark 7, 20-23 shows us that. Mark 7, 20-23, this also is from the CSB. And this is Jesus speaking here, and He's directly responding to the, the Jewish authorities, questioning why His disciples don't follow all the, uh, the, the very strict ceremonial cleansing rites and rituals, and, and why, they, you know, why they don't follow all those details of the law, specifically as it relates to the cleansing and purity rites that the, the Pharisees actually added on to the law. In verse 20, he says this in response to their criticisms. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So, what does that mean practically for us? In light of all that Jesus said, which was so absolutely right there, it means that the power to defeat the sin within us has to come from outside us. Because we don't have any righteousness in ourselves. We aren't intrinsically good. We aren't naturally holy. So we need an alien righteousness. We need a righteousness and a holiness to come from outside of us. That's the only hope we have to have a power to defeat the power of sin within us. I mean, how crazy, how crazy would it be to see someone drowning, 
But instead of jumping in to save them or at the very least getting something to, you know, throw out to them and pull them out of the water that they're drowning in, how crazy would it be to stand there and say, I, I see you're drowning there. Yeah, yeah, help, help. I, I see you're, you're in, a, in a bit of a pickle. Tell you what, just keep on not drowning. Just, just try hard not to drown. You've got the power in you. I want you just to depend on your, your natural ability. Just keep trying harder not to drown and you'll be okay. I mean, how crazy would that be? How thoughtless, how heartless. No, we'd either jump in or, or get a rope or something, right? We know that if they're really drowning, they can't help themselves in that situation. We need to provide the power outside of their situation to pull them out. Thankfully, that is exactly what God does. And the craziness of that example is not what God does. God doesn't look at us, humanity, drowning in our sin, which we all are. We're all drowning in our sin. God doesn't look at us and say, you've got the power. You've got the ability. Just keep trying harder. Just work harder. Be better. And if you keep using the strength that you have, you'll get out of this mess. That's not what God does. That's not what he says. That's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is not help yourself. Pull yourself up out of this mess. You've got it in you. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you have no hope. You have no power in yourself to get yourself out of the mess of sin that you're in. But that doesn't mean there's not hope. The message of the gospel is there is hope. There is power from outside of you. Look to that. Receive that. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about the Bible's best words and how incredibly glorious they really are and all that went into that, all that was involved in that, all that it, it cost God to do and to provide our rescue. We're going to be talking about the great word justification. We're going to be talking about redemption, propitiation, which is such a great word. We're going to be talking about all those words as it relates to our big problem of sin and how only those words and the actions that those words convey and communicate, how only that is our remedy. Only that is our rescue. Only that is our hope. We can't look to anyone or anything else. We definitely can't look to ourselves because we don't have it in us. We're drowning, human beings. We're drowning, and we need a divine rescue. And that rescue was provided in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be going deeper in all that, that means, what He accomplished, what is available to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how clearly it shows us our condition before You. I thank You that it clearly shows we have no hope and no ability in ourselves to make us right with You. We have no hope and no ability in ourselves 
to get ourselves out of the mess of sin that we're in. We're drowning. And no amount of trying harder, doing better, would ever be enough to save us from the death that awaits all of us. Not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from you forever. We can't reach perfection. It's not in us. We can't grab a hold of absolute perfect holiness. No matter how high we reach and how much we strain, it'll never be within our grasp naturally. But Father, we also know from Your Word that You loved us. Even when we were dead in our sin, You loved us. And You loved us so much that You sent Your only Son who is as You are, perfect, holy, righteous, just. And You sent Him fully divine to also become fully human. All for the purpose of going to a cross and taking on Himself our sin, our lack of holiness, and receiving judgment for it so that He could offer righteousness and holiness, His righteousness, His holiness, to us in place of our lack of holiness And in place of our sin. Oh Father, thank you for showing us not just our situation and not just our need, but how that situation can be changed and how our need has been met. And in the next few weeks as we dig deep into seeing all that was involved in that, in your rescue plan, may it grip our hearts. And I pray that if there is anyone that has not yet received the remedy for their sin, if they've not yet personally applied the work of Jesus, may today be that day. And for all of us, may we be overwhelmed again, amazed anew at what it means to have grace, at what it means to be saved, and all that is wrapped up in that glorious word. So guide us as we go forward in this study, I pray. Do the work that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.